Welcome to the Healthy Dog Pod. It's Sophie and Ian as always. Hello. And today we are talking about puppy school. So it's going to talk about why we run puppy schools, why it's important to start training at such a young age and why there's a cutoff as well and how it can impact them in through to adulthood. And what to look for in a good puppy school. Yes. They're very common um, and understanding, you know, what it is you would like to get from your puppy school is really important. Because, uh, you know, I think people's expectations of what puppies call may be unrealistic, uh, uneducated. And then we shouldn't, we should be the ones, I think, that when we're the ones that are educated on dog training and behavior, we need to set up a school that will set everybody up for the future. I know that most, what I'm getting at is most people expect puppy schools to be just play. Yeah. And if I was to set up a school where your dog just played... I create an idiot of a dog and make sure that your puppy school isn't just catering for that. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I was walking probably like six months ago along Bondi and um, this lady went up to this guy who had this puppy and she said, Oh, I have a puppy too. What puppy school, you know, are you going to? I didn't hear what they said, but um, he said, Oh yeah, it's really good. You know, they just play the whole time. And she's like, oh, that sounds so good. That's great. I'm, I'm really excited. Like, can you give me the details? And I was standing there and I was like, my partner was like, just walk away. Yeah. Just walk away. And I was like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the equivalent of sending your kid to school and going, what do they do at school? Are they running around a playground? Like, oh. It'd be so much. So, so he's an idiot? <laughs> I'm paying for them to run around. Yeah. And I mean, what uh, on that. Let's let's go into why because it's obviously shit us and yep. like, <laughs> we're a bit sensitive about it. But that's because play is what friends do um, when they know each other well and have a good relationship. Play between dogs is a conversation. Um, they're learning how to go back and forth, but it is a tiny, tiny section of socialising a dog and getting a dog used to the world. Um, it is not the priority, to be honest. Um, we set, up, we set up puppy schools to for owner education. Yeah. Um, we create a classroom, basically, where you bring your dog in and we calm it down so that you can think and not just got a load of little midget peanuts running around you and just creating mayhem. Um, that's why I don't teach puppy school. Um, <laughs> this is why I teach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's the main aim is, you know, it's an hour class, probably for about 45 minutes. The owners come in and first lesson, the dogs are crazy. And we're just trying to focus on teaching them to calm down. So the first 45 minutes is just me talking, me talking to the owners and just saying, you know, what do you want to get out of puppy school? And, you know, what are the problems you're having at home? And teach and educate them as well about dog psychology and, and body language and explain why the dogs have to settle and sit there. And then the last 15 minutes will go out and we'll play. And then I'll explain about play. Yeah. And when we say, you know, we teach, teach dogs to come in and settle. I mean, we'll go into why and how. And, you know, why? Because nobody's ever called a dog uh, dog trainer because they can't get their dog to just sit next to them. Or well, they, that's why they're calling. But they're always trying to get the dog to come back. So taking the dog into the room 
and letting it just fly off the fly off the handle and go away is going to set them up for fail. That becomes a learned communication pattern. Whether it go into a vet, go into a puppy school, go into a dog park, go into your friend's house, teach them to focus on you. So that's what we're actually asking uh, owners to do: is to come in and put the emphasis of the dog onto you. You can always let them go. You can let them go whenever you choose. But if the dog is going before you choose, you don't have effective control. And so we're setting everybody up for a win from the first one. And it slows everything down. As things slow down, the adrenaline comes down, the puppy can learn, and the person can learn. And we get to know then the actual characteristics of the dogs and the people in the class. Um, We might have a real big extrovert of a dog that just wants to go and bounce all over the others. But at the same time, we're likely to have an introvert. Um, now the introvert needs space in that moment and just time to just digest, doesn't need and definitely well, shouldn't have the extrovert bouncing all over him. And at the same time, the extrovert shouldn't be bouncing all over him because that owner really does need emphasis on bring, call the dog back to you. We've had people recently go, oh, but I, I want to take my dog out of this class because I think that he just needs to run around and play. I'm like, well, good luck. I'm not going to force you to be here. I can't. But you, that's not what you need help with, mate. You you need help getting the dog to come back. You're never going to have a problem letting this dog run away. No. Ever. No one is. No. But um, that dog, one, if it goes up to the introvert dog and bounces all over, it's going to get negative feedback for that dog, from that dog, and learn itself. It doesn't get thought about enough. But that dog is then learning, well, dogs are a bit crap. They just tell me off. Or I'll get really frustrated because you won't play with me. The introvert dog learns negative associations to get getting bounced on and not being heard. Yeah. It sets everybody up for a loss if we just let it go bedlam. So, yeah, we really are trying to build calm communication patterns. And as the dogs are sat there, the dogs can pick up on these subtle social cues, the eye contacts, the shoulder turns away, the head down, the head up, the lip curls, the lip softening, you know, subtle communication skills that where the dogs actually learn how to respond to them repeatedly see them including different breeds you know we might not seen a squishy bulldog face before what the hell is that it's a cannonball on legs like it's a bit weird looking so you've got to learn how to speak bulldog as well as german shepherd as well as chihuahua yeah and learning these communication skills happens when they're in the calmer frame of mind the thinking brain just like you and me when we're sat in the classroom um i need to be calm enough to, to hear what you're saying if uh yeah it's it's not it's, it's common sense, if you ask me. Like, you don't go into school and make them run around and expect them to learn how to do maths. No, they'll just want to keep running around. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the hardest thing, the first lesson, is um, trying to get everyone to just keep their dogs calm and with them. And they're kind of, you can see the owners kind of getting a bit frustrated because they're like, I don't, like, I just want to let them go. But I think once I speak to them for that first 45 minutes, and then take them outside and then explain play and, you know, try and pair the dogs with appropriate dogs that they'll listen to and respond to. I've had one class that every dog has been able to play with every other dog, just one. Yeah. And I've taught many classes and it was appropriate. They were all great playing. So only two at a time because three is too hard conversation. So only two at a time playing and that was the one class I had that they were all totally fine. But that doesn't happen all the time. There's some dogs, as you were saying, the introvert and the extrovert, 
they might never ever play in my class because it's not appropriate. That yeah. dog's not confident, the introvert. And that's okay. You've got to go at that dog's yeah. pace. They're um, all individual. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you, uh, you said this to me um, recently. You said uh, you shouldn't compare... You shouldn't. You should make sure that the owners aren't comparing their dogs to the other dogs in the class. Yeah, because it's not about the other dog. It's listen to your own. Yeah. It's like children. You go, oh, I wish my dog was uh, really good, or I wish my child was really good at swimming. The child's like, fucking ain't swimming. Like, stop making me go bloody swimming. Yeah. And so, if you're gonna listen to the individual needs of your of your dog, and if you've got a goal, and you know, like I want to. I want to take my dog to the dog park and you can have it in mind, but you build it up at the dog's pace. But if it doesn't want to do it, you, you bet you've got to listen to it. Um, yeah. And that's where, again, owner education comes in. We sit people down and we actually go through the learning stages of the dog, what to expect in the future. We get to say, okay, so your breed is was bred for this. Expect, typically we see this present at, six months typically we see this presented a year and that kind of brings us on to our next thing about how puppy school isn't the end yeah it's not the end of training no like, well done you graduated your puppy is no robo dog no <laughs> i always said in lesson five i'm like you finished puppy school great but that's not the end the, the you know you've trained them for the first six months of their life but they still need to continue training it's like us we still continue our training and education any job yeah you have to you can't just expect them to go through all their life stages and know everything no I, it doesn't happen like that. i had a i had a client once um say on me that their dog had come pre-trained by the breeder what mm, yeah it's like oh, i love this breeder because they promised me that it was going to come pre-trained eight uh, weeks yeah um so apparently the breeder was selling these dogs on the promise that it would come toilet trained in a in an environment it never been before so it come toilet trained and could learn the basics of sit and lay down i mean dogs are all you change the environment you change the behavior yeah 100 of the time that's not like that is 100 percent of the time if you change the environment you change the behavior so as soon as that puppy left um where it was and got put in front of another individual and you know, its heart rate went up, its environment changed. Like it, it changed the behavior. So there's yeah. no, we've said this before, you know, uh, you can't guarantee behavior. You can't yeah. guarantee mine. I'm certainly not going to guarantee your dogs. But dogs are always learning. And so when I was first training puppy school, I was um, still on my learning curve, learning about positive reinforcement. And so I was saying to people, face trick, you know, once it's trained, you use high, high frequency of reward at the beginning, pay, 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 pay. And as the dog become uh, learns it, you can face treats out. And in the same breath, I'm going, dogs are always learning. And what I realized was I'm setting people up to fail by basically saying, you can train the dog and then it will know. But consider rewarding the behaviors you want, payment. Yeah. You know, not bribing. You're not bribing. bribing. There's yeah. a very big difference. Bribing is making, um, is giving. You, they you don't they don't want to do it still. Yeah. They it's all about you wanting them to do it. Bribe that's what bribery is. There's actually yesterday I was at the um North Bondi just where the boats are and the dogs were the owners were in the water and they're trying to get the dogs to go in the water. 
They didn't want to. There was like three of them. They were standing on the edge and they were like, hmm. So he got a ball, threw the ball in. <coughs> and dog was like, oh, and went in the water. Got it, came straight out and didn't want to go back in. He was trying to like bribe him to go in there, but he, he didn't want to go in and he couldn't see it. Well, that's using the dog's uh, compulsion. Yeah. To get what he wants, like the human wants. Yeah. That's not, that's like, um, and trying to get an addict to do something for you and paying them in crack. Like, it's, uh, you know, they're not in control there. No. Um, it was very frustrating. I was like, he doesn't want to go in the water. No, and it's not payment. No. You know, um, you know if the dog does something and find, and then you pay it and the dog finds that behavior rewarding, the dog, that's what dog training is, is making them, training them to the point where they find it so rewarding that they want to do it. Yeah. Not bribery. Um, and going back to dogs are always learning, you know, you can train that behavior and ingrain it and to the point where it knows what you would like and it finds it rewarding and will do it on cue and it might even offer it to you. Like if you don't, if it hasn't, cause it just likes doing it. Um, but don't expect that to stay, to go linear and continue in that direction because it may like food. But if you take the dog to the dog park and don't give it food in the dog park and expect him to come back and you're not going to pay him for it, other dogs are really fun. It's going to stay over there. And then you can't get frustrated with your dog because you set your dog up to fail. Um, And, you know, again, like going into education, this is this sort sort of thing that we teach in puppy school where we'll say just because your dog doesn't jump up at your kitchen counter, his cognitive ability is lower. He doesn't understand what kitchens are. So don't expect him to do the same in your friend's house. Yeah. And these conversations happen in class and they don't happen if it's just a play group. So there's a massive difference. It's called school, puppy school. <laughs> <laughs> it's not puppy playhouse. <laughs> and that's the other thing. I, I always tell them as well, you know, it's a safe place for you. Like there's no stupid question. If your dog does something at home, like there's no judgment here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help educate you and solve your problems. Mm. And I think once I say that, a lot of people do that sort of sigh of relief. And like, So, you know, we do get a lot of tears in puppy school. And there was a time when me and Jade, oh, Jade was teaching puppy school and I was there just helping support her because it was her first time um, teaching. And this lady hung back after class and um, we're like, you know, is everything okay? And she just burst into tears. And me and Jade were like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. And we just listened to her and just, she was just really struggling at nighttime with the puppy um, sleeping. And, you know, it's so much work. And she was so tired. She was mentally drained and physically drained and tired. And so was the puppy. So we just talked her through a few steps to help, you know, with training the dog to sleep at night. And then you see on session five and people come to you and go, thank you. Like so much, I was at breaking point then. Absolutely, like the school, that classroom environment. We're there for, and we've said it already, but owner education support. Yeah. Nobody gets a dog thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. As in, like, I ain't got, I've not got this. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's like, I've got this. Yeah. I've had dogs. And then curveballs get thrown. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit! Like that. That's. uh, I don't actually understand how to do that. Or like, you know, that situation if the puppy's not sleeping. Like then the, all of a sudden the owner's not sleeping and then it's like everything compounds and mild stress becomes big stress and, you know, it, it can be a nightmare like things. And this is when we're, when we're in puppy school, when we're giving 
um, generic advice because we have to. Yeah. We're not in your home. We don't know your lay lay of the land of your home and we don't know necessarily how you interact with your dog at home. We can teach you communication skills and that's that's the other side of it. You know, owner education is about teaching, drilling in those fundamentals of how to move your hands and how not to move your hands. But, um, and what to say and when to say it. But, um, yeah, we, we have to give generic advice. Um, but opening the floor to a, uh, to a conversation um, allows you to basically probe us for more information. And when you are looking for a puppy school, it's so important as to who's teaching this class. Yeah. Because if your puppy school trainer hasn't got experience training dogs, maybe they're a vet nurse. I don't particularly agree with vet nurses taking puppy school. I know I'll probably piss a lot of people off in saying that. But unless they are experienced in handling unwanted behaviors in dogs, they shouldn't be handling owners and their dogs in numbers at such an important stage of the puppy's life or the dog's life. They should be qualified trainers. Yeah. That are very experienced and have been in a situation in people's homes of being able to just go right okay zoom out what are the variables what are the things that we could be looking at here because if you're reading this out of a fucking textbook and going well my textbook says use a puppy pad well that's great but the textbook example you gave didn't work you need to be able to think outside the box and you know i mean i teach uh puppy school at bondi junction vet and what, I'm, what my example I just used doesn't always uh, fit because Babs, my friend, who teaches uh, puppy school also up on Night Junction Bear, is a vet nurse. But what she does is at the end of every class, she'll message me and go, I have these questions today that I didn't know the answer to. One, she's reaching out for help. But two, she, what she's doing is going to the clients and going, give me, give me a couple of days and I'll find out for you. Yeah. She's got a trainer to, to fall back on and uh, support her so uh, knowing this like when you are looking for a puppy school it's so important to know like what is your background information on puppies because if it is just play and if you haven't got experience going into people's homes and helping them with their morning behaviors how much are you actually going to help help me yeah not a lot you know how long is the course you know what uh do have you got any background in training dogs yeah <laughs> and they're legitimate questions because some people just uh, volunteers mm-hmm. or just want to be dog trainers but have never had experience in it and I think just going back on what you said before about giving one example I always give a few examples because not one thing works for one dog or one person so I'll be like okay have you tried puppy pads yes they're chewing up the puppy pads okay have you tried fake grass chewing up the fake grass well you can get real grass delivered or you can go to Bunnings and get real grass give that a go yeah come back did that work yeah that worked you got to give a few options you can't just say this is the way you train and that's it well we can do that because we've been in that scenario enough times where we can actually you know think like we we don't get a choice in the way our brains work where as soon as we're presented with that uh problem then uh because we've been in that scenario enough times to just go oh, well there are a lot of variables there yeah so i'll start fishing for more information yeah just like any consult yeah, um, just trying to find the problem and the root cause. And off the back of that, while we might just be problem solving for that person, everybody else in the room, if they're present and if they're able to learn, can see how 
behavior is not linear and puppy training is not linear and all of a sudden they start to develop and go all right well we're problem solving here we've actually got a group conversation around dog training yeah and, and that's that's our that's what i love about the puppy school is that actually just getting people's brains engaged about how you know it's it's not just a robo dog and creating this wonder dog after after five weeks our course is deliberately five weeks because we know that session one's almost a write-off yeah they come in and we'll give you a baseline information we'll give you some breed information as to what what it is you've got what inherent traits uh your dog has um and we'll sit down and we'll ask a lot of questions um we've got our program that we want to kind of stick to as a guideline for you so that we make sure that you get enough information on dog training and behavior and what not to feed them and get a vet to come in and chat about vaccinations and all of that stuff but at the same time i want to open the floor every week and go how's your puppy actually doing <laughs> like, yeah it's uh it's setting them up for the future i think the other um great thing is what you just said before about everyone talking in the room is that sometimes um some of the people have ideas that i've never heard of and they'll go, oh, have you have you tried this? And I'm like, oh, I haven't heard of that. That's a great idea. And it might work for that person. So it's great that everyone can sort of go back and forth and help problem solve. Yeah. I think it's just, it's so nice. It's like, just like any classroom, it shits me when people are on the phone in public school. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> so my last class that I taught, um, there was a dad that was coming in with his daughter. First lesson on his phone, just, you know, then he like sort of look up every now and then and then like sort of look down his phone again. Second week, full attention. Third week, full attention. Fourth, fifth, full attention. Mm. And he said to me at the end, he goes, thank you so much. I honestly had no idea what to expect, but I was, he was so much more involved. He was like asking questions and, you know, helping with the training and with the dog's recall, everything like that. And he just said, this is so valuable. And I just thought I was coming in, dropping my daughter off and, you know, just getting out of here and, you know, they'd be playing. Yeah. And that just made me so happy when you could gradually see him not even picking up his phone in the last session. Yeah. And he said it to me and I was like, yeah, this is why I'm here. And we're trying to, we're literally creeping, I've said that a few times, but we're keeping everybody thinking and making a decision because... We see puppy schools that are hyper. You know, they. one of the things that I don't like seeing is, and I saw a video of it the other day, is, you know, somebody's holding the dog back and they're like really revving it up and they'll let it go and go, come. And the dog like bouncing and goes a little bit crazy. It's mental. That's yeah. not actually the dog learning anything. It's not learning to choose to come back to you. It's so different. Like, is is that we've said it before in training and other aspects, but it's which side of the brain's on? Is it the re reflexive state or is it the thinking state? So, like the first game I teach people to do is well, I, f I put emphasis on stay, and I want the dog to because I want the dog to think, and it's not normally thinking very clear if, clearly if it's running. So I'll try to get the weight game, and I'll avoid really fast movements. So one of the things I said for many years now the key to removing anything from the dog is asking the dog to remove uh, teaching the dog to remove himself when asked um so what i don't like seeing is distraction go over there while i pick this up yeah. or pulling the hands away and making a sharp noise because they're all stimulants 
I don't like ripping things away from the dog because the dog never learns how to just settle with it present. I mean, you end up with an empty house if the dog can't remove itself and just go, mate, not, that's not for you. Um, but I'll hold my hand really still, treat him between my foot, uh, thumb and forefinger, hold it really tight so the dog can't get it. And I will uh, basically hold it just above the height of the nose. So if the dog's nose is about that high, I'll hold it there. And the dog's going to go through his repertoire of learned behaviors. He's going to try and take it. He's going to try and pour it. He's going to try and chew your fingers, lick it. He's going to do everything he can to get that treat out. And the chances are he's going to get a bit bored and walk off. So you go practice this in an environment where you are the most fun thing. Um, it can take a few minutes for that dog to eventually just go. And I'm waiting for the head to be still, the eyes to be focused on it. Paws to have stopped, shoulders to have stopped, at which point I bridge the behavior, good, and reward him. Second time I ask of it, it probably take less long, it does take slightly less time. Third time, slightly less time. Fourth time, slightly less time. To the point where you haven't said a word, presented the treat. Now we've got a baseline for training. Now I can go, stay, while I move back. Now I can go, come, while I move, if I want him to come to me, now I can say, stay while I put something on the floor. Okay, go. I've got the fundamentals right. And the dog the whole time is listening and choosing how to do it. Rather than this fuckwit that's just running around mental, I'll come back maybe, but I'll be really hyper when I do and I might stand around for 20 seconds, take a treat and see you later. Bye. <laughs> Fuck. No way. That's that. Yeah. You end up chasing your own shadow. And I've, I've said it so long as well, like dog training is completely useless unless you apply it in real life. Yes. I had a client at the weekend very well-trained dog, knew how to sit, stay, come, drop, absolutely everything. Didn't know, she didn't know how to apply it. She says, oh, the dog's always pulling me down the stairs. So I can walk in, you know, to the park and the route is quite hilly and got lots of stairs. I said, all right, well, get to the top of the stairs, sit, stay. Go to the end of the lead, come. Good, reward, sit, stay. Go to the end of the lead, come, sit, stay. Dog followed her all the way down the stairs. Dog now learns all right, this is great. I get rewarded for sitting and staying rather than tanking off to the stairs and down the stairs and pulling people over and getting other dogs' faces and getting a bit of an asshole. So, <laughs> yeah. So dog training in puppy school is really about getting the owners to think and getting the dogs to think and everybody yeah. actually learns. And also building a bond as well. You're building a relationship, you're building a bond with your puppy too. And week one, as you said, it's kind of a bit everywhere. And then by week five, you can see the dog actually responding to the owner, responding to the other dogs appropriately, coming back when called, staying. And it's just such a beautiful thing to see over the five weeks. Yeah. Like we've said many times as well, like, you know, we've got a whole episode on socializing and play. Yeah. But, um, and for more detail, please go and listen to them, watch them. But, um, you know, teaching that dog to, respond appropriately to others is socialization. It's not just about play and habituation. Like people come into puppy school and we'll go, right, okay, we're going to talk about habituation. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Like it's normalizing the world around it and we live in a very human world. And again, going back to, I mean, we've not even talked about, we don't, because we don't teach punishment. We've not even talked about that today. Um, but we've talked about creating hyper because what we see in a lot of puppy schools is this hyper association so 
for example, let's take skateboards. We want to normalize skateboards and normalize, habituate the dog to the world. When he sees, when your dog sees Johnny on a skateboard, go, good boy, treat, let's walk away. We teach him that it's positive and a socially appropriate behavior. What I don't want to see is good boy and make him all crazy and hyper because his amygdala still fires through positive stress and creates hyper associations of skateboards. It's the positive doesn't have to be hyper. Yeah. It has Pos- to be rewarding for your dog, not yeah. for you, for the dog. Yeah. And um, we do see a lot of dogs come out of puppy schools and absolute idiots that can't calm down. Like thinking that socialization is just getting in other dog's faces and wanting to be involved. Um, thinking that got to, everything's just got to be hyper, 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 hyper. It's not. It's just got to be normal. Yeah. You don't want to create that dog that's just giving free hugs without wearing a sign. It's <laughs> like in everybody's face. Yeah. Um, and um, the other side of it is, you know, you said as well, like it's really, we're trying to build emphasis on putting, uh, building the dog's confidence in, and finding it rewarding to respond to you. We also want to make sure that it's resilient to the world and that habituation side of things, it means that it's got to be calm when it's out there. So when the wind blows a carry bag through the wind, it's not just pouring on cylinders and scared of it. Yeah. Um, when the, when a loud bang happens, it's got the resilience to just go, oh, all right. And a bit of persistence is really good as well. You know, I want it to be able to really just like have the confidence to just keep going forward and not wrap it up in cotton wool. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing we're kind of struggling with at the moment as well is vaccinations. So people think they can't take their dog out in mm. that period. So there's a period from around three to 14 weeks called the critical socialization period and pretty much anything that dog learns in that period good or bad it remembers forever through adulthood and then also do you want to explain about the synapses as well well yeah that's it so we said earlier about the synapses in the brain that between three and 14 weeks they literally um like uh i think it's double the amount um of an adult brain and in between three and 14 weeks when they're available uh, and it's the only time in their life they're available. They don't magically reappear later. Um, you've got the opportunity to teach your dog so much and really uh, ingrain behavior into them and, ingrain, and normalize. So take Johnny on the skateboard, expose him to him in that frame of mind calmly so that it just stays there. And he sees Johnny on the skateboard four or five times and goes, all right, well, that's normal. It sets the foundations for later in life because after 14 weeks, it's called uh, synaptic pruning. And the body... Whatever hasn't been hardwired together and hasn't been used and hasn't really formed gets pruned and they disappear. And like I said a second ago, they don't just magically reappear in, later in life. And that's why it's so much harder. It's not impossible to teach an old dog new tricks. No. But it is harder. And that's science. Like, you, you just can't argue with that. Like, it's harder. It's harder for me to study today um, than it was when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and... That just, uh, it just really does put emphasis on the importance of exposing your dog in this learning stage. Um, you don't want to overexpose as well. No. Uh, in this, in throughout this, I mean, sorry, I'm going to come back on to what I was about to say because you got to get the balance right when it comes to your topic about uh, the uh, vaccinations. Yeah. I couldn't think of the word. Um, you got to get the balance right. You do not set it up to fail. You don't go and put it in the deep end where you know that it's going to get sick just so that its brain can develop. 
but neither do you wrap it in so much cotton wool that his brain can't develop because you end up with a very bought vaccinated dumbass dog. And that's no good to anybody. Nor is the really smart dog that can't go outside because he's lame from Parvo. Like, you gotta, you've got to be sensible and you've got to use your best judgment with that. But if you know that uh, your environment doesn't, you know, you can't put him on the floor, don't put him in the dog, don't put him in the dog park before he's fully vaccinated. Remember, you can, dogs absorb information to their eyes. They can see it, process it, and normalize it. They can hear it. They're, these are senses that they can pick up on information from a distance. They don't have to be in the deep end and in contact, physical contact with it to be absorbed, to be. Yeah, so that's why it's a bit of a struggle because the last vaccination is 15 weeks or 16 weeks and mm. then it's out of that critical period and a lot of people will keep their dog inside and not actually take them out and expose them to the world at all. Yeah, and uh, as I was going to say a second ago, sorry, I nearly diverted straight into this. You know, When we are saying we'll teach old dog new tricks, a lot of the time as adult uh, dog that we get a call for, um, the dog is, the unwanted behavior is normally driven by, um, stress, fear, anxiety. The reason why it's easy to train those dogs is because they're stressed, feeling anxious or, uh, are fearful and nobody wants to feel that way. It's very easy to make, they, if you set up the world and their environment and their training to make them feel comfortable they'll go towards it. You're not necessarily trying to train them something new immediately. You're trying to take the stress away. Yeah. That's why in the in the past we've said, you know, give them a stress break so that they can learn. That's all it is. Like it, at the beginning when, you know, we've been called out to a dog uh, in later in life and they're like, oh, can, you tr can we train this out of him? And I'm like, yeah, we're just trying to teach your dog how to be comfortable. Yeah. No, no living thing doesn't want to feel comfortable. Um. Yeah, so we can train new dogs, uh, old dogs new tricks yeah. when they're thinking, just and like with puppies. Just might take longer. You know, it's kind of like, as you said before, it's like as a kid learning a language, it's easy. And then now if I try to learn language, it's so much harder. Yeah, it, it, I think it's really, you've got to set the, um, you've got to set the tone. As in like, so you, you used the example of me a few weeks back where you said, I'm going to try and teach Japanese now. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, that that's... Uh, a challenge with everything that's going on in my life right now, <laughs> I can't learn um, Japanese. Um, but if I made space for it and started to actually sit down and think about it, I could absolutely learn Japanese. Yeah. Probably. Um, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. But if I put enough time into it. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But that's where you've got to create. And, and same with puppy school, same with any, any learning. You are, you set the environment up that caters for learning you don't try and teach them under stress no it's yeah simple when you think about it yeah as you said if i'm stressed and you try and teach me something I'm like no yeah can't handle it <laughs> so what are the so back to puppy school what are the key parts that we're trying to teach you know we we really are putting emphasis on owner education uh we're putting it on we want to make sure that our puppy school is teaching us communication skills that the classes are calm enough for the dogs to actually think. And, and the learn. people to think too. And people can th think. We it, still teach basic, you know, sit, stay, calm, yeah. tickle, the yeah. basics. Um, and we do do play, as I said. But we, you know, teach about dog psychology as well and 
um, what healthy play looks like. Yeah. You know, we've got um, we've got to know what that conversation is, what they're saying in play. You know, the the series of invites and back offs, and you know, coming towards and moving away, and when to step in and when to when to let them be dogs. Yeah. Um, set them up for a win. I find a lot of people. I just say to them, okay, don't do anything. I'm going to step in when it's appropriate because people panic, especially if another dog's like rolling with the other dog. They're like, oh, it's going to hurt them. Mm. I'm like, you'll know. If they hurt them, they're going to squeal pretty much. But I'm not going to let it get to it that stage. It get to that stage, yeah. yeah. And, and also noises. Yeah. So, um, for example, you know, take a bulldog. It's got completely different noises to, uh, say, a German Shepherd or a Dachshund or, yeah. you know, you hear a German Shepherd just go squeaky and you're like, oh my God, this thing that looks like a wolf is trying to eat my chihuahua. It's like, no, he's just really excited and he's got a really high-pitched voice. Just yeah. a big dog. But That's just how he plays. Yeah, and how he sounds. And as I said before, you know, I'll find out who's appropriate to play with who and as they're playing, I talk through how they're communicating. Okay, did you guys see that back off? Did you see that invite? And then maybe they'll go off like sniffing away and then they'll come back and they'll play again like did everyone see that everyone see the communication there um yeah it's just good to have visual of play and with different breeds as well yeah like that whole different breed thing understanding as well like you learn if because we don't um we don't discriminate between breeds in class so you, you may turn up in puppy school with um an oodle some sort of herding breed and some sort of bull breed, some sort of working dog, some sort of terrier mix. You could turn up with absolutely anything in your class and good because your dog's going to learn to speak different languages. Yeah. And, um, and so you, you're going to learn, okay, what are the breed traits of this one? Because your oodle mix might not like the rough and tumble play of the bull breed. And that's okay. But if you know that, then you can set yourself up for the future. And that is what puppy school for me is about, is setting them up for the future. Because mm-hmm. in that first few weeks of their life, if we can lay the foundations of information into you so that you can go away and implement them in real life, then we'll set you up for the best possible start with your puppy. Yeah. Um, we, we've said at the beginning, you're not finished there. No. And we would we will be there for, as a support network afterwards. Exactly. Um, and by then we know you. Yeah. That's the best part of it. Is uh, we know, we know you. We know what your puppy's like. Um, we understand that it didn't go to plan, so we're empathetic with you, and we probably can actually have a conversation with you around like where it went wrong. Without, you know, it's a great start. Yeah. I love puppy school for that. So we also have, um, for people who can't make puppy school, you know, sometimes it's, it's late at night and you can't attend. So we'll have puppy packages, which will come to your house and train you and your dog, exactly like puppy school, but with less people. Mm. And one of the things actually I want to point out, there's um, two really common reasons why people will tell me oh, I didn't need it. I didn't need puppy school. One of them, I've had a dog before. I've trained dogs before. I'm like, fantastic, mate, but your dog is a new dog and it needs to learn all of the things we just talked about. And the other one, the other reason is, I've already got a dog or I've got two puppies at once. And they expect that dog 
to just that first dog to be like Yoda and teach it absolutely all the ways of the world. Like it needs more life skills than that. You end up, this is, this is a sort of thing, you know, in puppy school, when you come, we'll teach you about how over-dependency is not healthy. And if he only ever, say like, he only ever learns to speak that language of that one individual, he learns no other dialects of dog whatsoever. And so can't communicate with anybody. Probably, like I say, develops a over an attack over attachment to that dog. You know, if we've got litter mates, you know, what, the amount of times when we get litter mates turn up to puppy school, and I'm like, fantastic, bring one into this class, take the other one to the other class. They need to learn how to be separate from one another. They they need to learn how to socialize and speak dog without each other around. Do you want to go into litter mate syndrome quickly? No. Well, do we? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> go into it. <laughs> well. Look, I'm not really prepared for it. I haven't really thought about it for a long Just time. Just a quick, yeah. So like Littermate syndrome, and I don't know if it's a syndrome or not, but it's definitely a prominent thing that where we see people purchase and bring home two dogs or more from the same litter. And um, we see some big problems. We we see an over-dependency on one another. They only learn how to speak the language with one another. Um, and so they, they end up just being very clingy and not really knowing how to socialize with others. And typically people tend to take them out together. They make sure that they're always together. They're brothers. They love each other. Like I fight, I have fought more with my brother than anyone on this earth. And I love him. Don't get me wrong, but Jesus Christ, we've shared some blows. And like there is, there is some real, real problems that do come up with this and don't get me wrong like this isn't every single little mate that has ever lived together there are plenty that have gone really well but they need to be aware that there is a problem and if if this doesn't apply to you i don't want to hear how it worked out for you i don't care good for you because there are lots of people that it hasn't worked out for and this is what the warning's for um genetically they value the same thing like they it's very likely that they value the same thing very highly. And so there is an increased risk of, risk of conflict. You feed them and they're going to both value the food. Now, it's sure, they might work it out, but then like one of them dominates the food, the resource. And it called always the dominant one. Well, that's another day, fuck me. But like, that's not a healthy relationship between two individuals. It might be toys it might, because then all of a sudden you can't leave anything, any resources out for your dog because they value them so much. They're getting squabbles over them. Um, and there are knock on effects as well, like to constantly being around anybody. They become a fly around your head that you just want to fucking swat. And that's why you end up squabbling. It, don't get me wrong. Like I say, it can work. Yeah. This is why I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into it. But you've seen, like, we've both seen many cases where, unfortunately, one of them has to get rehomed. Yeah. Because it, there's no, it's not great for both the dogs. They have to be separate the whole day and like they're never allowed to be together. Yeah. And I've seen as well, um, you know, I've seen it go well, but yeah. I've seen the amount of work it goes into it. And I've sat down with somebody and this person, they were up on the North Shore of Sydney and they called me up and they asked me to come over and, and fair play to him. He sat me down immediately and went, Look, I'll be honest, I don't expect any dog training today. I've got um, two litter mates and I've read about litter mate syndrome. And what I want you to do is give me the reality of the situation. It was great. 
Wow. I'm like, fantastic, mate. I'll be happy to. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. And um, we talked about how to create healthy degrees of separation, sleeping arrangements, what it would take to exercise two dogs, time it would take to exercise two dogs, what family members, how do you, what are the dogs like? We're going to learn their individual characteristics. Um, what resources we're going to learn by trial and error with close supervision, what resources we can leave on the floor without causing conflicts, but also make sure that they're healthy and, you know, what the meeting the dog's needs. And he took on all of that information and did it really well. He employed two separate dog walking companies. He set up how, uh, places in the house to make sure that they had a safe space from one another. He had his time management was good. He was diligent with his resources. He did the work. The truth is there were problems when I was sat down as well. I mean, he did the work because we could see there was conflict. And uh, that's why he was really on the ball. Hell of a lot of work, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when you're coming into puppy school and you got two litter mates and you ring us up and want to get my puppies enrolled, well, great. But we're probably going to send you to two different puppy schools. Yeah. Um. If that's not an option, what we've done in the past is gone, okay, you can bring both puppies in, but you need one handler per dog minimum, and you won't be sat together in class. And your play dates, your, when we let them off to play, won't be with the other puppy in the class. Um, we basically te treat you like two independent clients. Yeah. Um, for the welfare of your dog. Um that's what we're that's what we're there for at the end of the day. We're there to get it right for you and your dog. Yeah. So yeah. So hopefully, um, yeah, when you do get a puppy, or if you're thinking of getting a puppy and your breeder says get two, mm. maybe think twice. Yeah. And you know, in the future, what we can talk about is puppy selection. Yes. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Yep. Okay. So pretty much what we want to end on is just when you're looking for a puppy school qualified trainer usually at a vet clinic or daycare um, yeah, an appropriate environment not in the park yeah um they focus on other things other than play um and class sizes are appropriate class sizes yeah do a bit of background a bit of background research into you know, you know do they know anything about your dog yeah <laughs> like your breed and the problems you're having and, and like also that. the cutoff as well so 16 weeks yeah. Um, is the cutoff. And sometimes we get people calling us saying, oh, my puppy's over 16 weeks. Can I enroll in puppy school? That's what I mean. We have got now a puppy school for those dogs. Yeah. Um, because, because of that reason. For that reason. Yeah. Because it's a different life cycle, life stage. Yeah. And so, yeah, really important to make sure that we are putting, well, we're not going to get like-minded puppies, but like puppies of the same age bracket yeah. together. And in that critical period. Absolutely. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you've learned something. Um, puppy school is fun. It is a fun thing, but at the same time, we do take it seriously uh, because at the end of the day, you're paying us to give you the best possible start to your puppy's life. And so it's our job and our responsibility to take it seriously. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Leave your feedback as always. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo. And that was the podcast.